Well, what a joy to be with you. I count it a great privilege to be associated with you, brethren, to be named as one that is blessed by the Lord to be able to preach. I think as our culture continues to degenerate and our way of life is going by the wayside, I think meetings like this, as long as we're able, are going to become more and more precious to us. And what a great opportunity is ours to come together and to worship and praise the Lord and to get into His Word and to uh, receive something from the Lord. I'm sure all of us have prayed that the Lord would anoint these services because apart from the anointing of the Holy Spirit, uh, we're not going to accomplish anything. We're going to need the Lord to come alongside and, uh, and help us this, this, these, these series of services. I appreciate the invitation to preach. 1 Peter chapter 1. Thank you for the room. It's an uh, absolutely great room. Beautiful. Thank Appreciate that. I know you're at Center Rose. You go to a great deal of expense and labor uh, to put these on, and we appreciate it very much. We get, on, we get in the blessings from your labor. 1 Peter chapter 1. Begin our reading in verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you by the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. I want to preach to you just for a little while this evening on the struggle for holiness. The struggle for holiness. Heavenly Father, uh, I come standing behind the sacred desk this evening standing before this group of Christians, Lord, and I express my need for your enabling power. Lord, I am dependent upon you. I come helpless in myself to do anything. And Lord, I pray that you'd come alongside in a very special way and give me that ability and unction to preach your word, not, not that I might be congratulated, but that Christ might be exalted. And I know that's the desire of every preacher here, that Christ might be exalted and lifted up. And we pray if there's one in our midst, Lord, that maybe they attended church, maybe they've made a profession, maybe they've been baptized, but they've never had a saving encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. They've never been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that during these series of services, Lord, you might touch their hearts and let them know they're lost and undone and without Christ. Oh, Lord, help us now. Encourage us and strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you open your Bibles and you read, you find all different kinds of styles in the, in the Bible. Maybe you're reading in the Gospel of John and you're reading about Jesus and the woman at the well. And that's a, that's a historical narrative that that John is sharing with us. Or maybe you're reading in the Psalms, and there the psalmist is using Hebrew poetry to 
uh, praise and worship His God. Maybe you're reading in the book of Proverbs and there you're reading wisdom literature or maybe you're reading prophecy. But this text of Scripture is none of these. This text of Scripture is an authoritative command that we are compelled to obey if we accept the authority of God's Word. This is on the same uh, uh, status as the Decalogue. This is a command given by the Apostle Peter under the unction and leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now there's many, many Christians that give lip service to the Bible. And they say they believe the Bible, but many times they're unwilling to obey what the Scriptures teach. When I was very young in the ministry and very dumb in the ministry, uh, when someone would come to me and have a, uh, some sort of counseling issue, I thought all that was required was simply open the Bible and let's see what God has to say and let's just do what God says. But I quickly discovered that that's not what many people want. And every pastor here, you, I'm sure in your ministry, have encountered the same things that very often people, uh, their wants and their desires does not line up with Scripture and rather than change their desires and change their wants, they want you to tell them what they want to hear. But if we believe in the authority of the Word of God, then our responsibility when we read any text of Scripture is first of all, what does the text say in the context in which we find it? We don't take it out of context and try to make it mean something it doesn't say. But what does the text say? And, and then how does that text apply in my own personal life? How am I to take the Word of God and, and make application in my daily life? And then my next responsibility is to obey what the text says as I understand it. Jesus told those of His day, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? So we come to a command of Scripture. And, and the Apostle tells us that we're to gird up the loins of our mind. Of course, that word gird up is a word picture. If you were living during the days of the Apostle Peter, you wouldn't be wearing a suit like we're wearing tonight. You'd be wearing these long flowing robes. And when it was time to work or time to run or time to fight, you would have to gather those robes up and you had a girdle or a leather belt around your waist and you would, you would gather those up and tuck them in, leaving your legs free. And so that's a word picture how that we are required to prepare our minds when we come to the Word of God. Where we're not just to skim the Word of God and, and go through some a mechanical rote reading of the Word of God just to get in our daily Bible reading, but there's some preparation required. There's, there we need to prepare ourselves when we come to the Word of God because we're to strive to have the mind of Christ. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's the instruction of Scripture. Uh, we're to put off the conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of our mind. 
We're to strive for obedience in our text here. We are to be sober. We're to be sober-minded. And we're to obey as obedient children. We are to obey the Word of God. We're to refrain from the lust of our flesh, uh, which was defined, which defined us in our unregenerate state. In other words, we're not to go back to the hog pen. We're, we're not to go back to, to, the, to the dog, back to his vomit. But we are, uh, we are to be obedient children, not fashioning ourselves to your former lust. Now, obedience is not always our first response to Scripture because we all have a flesh, and our flesh seeks exceptions. Surely my circumstances is an exception. Surely in the extenuating circumstances that that I'm encountered, surely there's some wiggle room in God's Word. Uh, Surely there's some excuse that that I can come up with. Surely I can compare myself with someone that's worse off than I am and, and get by with what I'm doing. So, but but there, there's, we're, we're to strive for obedience. We're to come to the Word of God and we are, we are to determine in our hearts that once we understand what it says, that we are under obligation to obey it. Now that takes hard work. That takes diligent effort. That takes discipline of the mind and body. They, these are almost dirty words in our culture today. Nobody, nobody goes to church to be disciplined in their mind and in their spirit and in their body. But that's what's required. If, if you're going to read the Word of God, it's going to take some effort on your part. Now, the goal of our obedience is that it leads to holiness. That's the whole goal of this text here. This is what this text is directing us to. It said, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's a, a, a quotation from Leviticus. And so our goal in our obedience is holiness. Now, when we were justified, and all you... Preachers know this, when we were, and most of you here probably know this, when we were justified, uh, uh, we were, that was a divine act. We didn't have anything to do with that. We, we came as lost, helpless, hell-bound sinners, depraved in Adam, and the Holy Spirit brought conviction to our heart, and we came confessing Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we may not have understood all the terminology, but we knew that we were not right with God. There was something really wrong with us and our Lord. And, and we came to Jesus and we cried out to Him. And God made us holy by position. He imputed to us the holiness of His Son and we're holy by virtue of our position in Christ, and therefore we are accepted by the Beloved. But there's also a work of sanctification, and that is the divine process in which we become holy by practice. And this is a cooperative effort. Peter, I mean, Paul tells us in Philippians that we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds like that 
There's some part we have to pay. And that salvation, of course, is talking about the aspect of sanctification. And, and we're to work at work that out. But the very next verse, he tells us that, For it is God who worketh in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. And so, uh, we, in our desire for holiness, it, it does take effort. It does take uh, uh, discipline. It does take uh, obedience, but we cannot do it by an act of our own willpower, solely by efforts of obedience. In our striving for obedience, we have to, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to enable and empower us to obey what we've read. That give us a, a greater desire for holiness. See, by nature, we have no desire to be holy. This is something that the Holy Spirit must bring into our hearts and in our lives. So we're holy by position, but to be holy by practice is a lifelong struggle. As long as we're in these bodies, we're going to struggle with holiness. Now we were delivered from the penalty of sin, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace, which is the redemption through Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a perpetuation through faith in His blood. So, so there we, we've been delivered forever from the penalty of sin. Christ there on the cross has paid the ultimate price for the wicked sins that we committed in the past, that we committed today, that we'll commit tomorrow. We we have been forever delivered from the penalty of our sin because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ took that penalty in His own body and bore it on the tree. But however, we're not completely delivered from the power of sin. Because Paul tells us, This I say therefore, walk in the Spirit... And ye shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Why? Because the the spirit and the flesh are contrary one to the other. There's a warfare that goes on as we try to pursue holiness. Because we all still have the remnants of our own nature. We still are infected with the flesh. That's that old nature we received from fallen Adam. Now this flesh cannot uh, control us. It cannot compel us. We're, we're no longer bond slaves to the flesh, but it's still around. And it had improved. If you've been a Christian for 60 years, your flesh is just as wicked as the day you came out of the womb. But also we have the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit which indwells our redeemed humanity. And so there's going to be this conflict between the spirit and the flesh, the two aspects of our nature. Now, I've often wondered why when God saved us, He could have done it, why did He not completely destroy our old nature? Why did He not take away completely any desire for sin. Have you ever prayed along for the day when you no longer desire that which is weak? There was no longer that part of you that was attracted to sin. But, but God left 
remnants of our own nature. And, 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 and I, I can't fully answer that question. But, but I know this, that we have been called, the Holy Spirit is working to bring us in conformity to Christ. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit day by day uh, to bring us more like Jesus. And that began with an inward act of regeneration. And so in the initial act of salvation, we were given righteous. We were made righteous. We, we received the perfect righteousness of Christ. But now the Holy Spirit is at work so that in our outward behavior, we might reflect the inward holiness that is ours by being in Christ. And that always brings us a conflict, does it not? Because when we seek to be holy, there's that internal warfare, and we discover that we have to make choices. That every day we're presented with choices. We can choose obedience. We can always choose obedience, which leads to holiness, which is, will be expressed in the way we live from day to day. But we have another choice. We can also yield to our carnal desires and frustrate the work of the Spirit in making us more Christ-like. We all have those two decisions, and we make them every day. We have to choose. Am I going to obey my Spirit? Am I going to obey the Word of God? Am I going to obey the urging of the Holy Spirit? Or am I going to yield to my flesh in some way or the other? Perhaps one reason that God left remnants of our flesh intact is that true love and true obedience in order for for it to be real always, always requires a choice. When my oldest granddaughter was about three, uh, she was staying, I I was with her out in the backyard, and and we were playing, and I did something that displeased her, and she was kind of mad at Papa. Well, her daddy came to pick her up, and he was getting ready to leave, and and he said, uh, I said, give me a hug, sweetie, before you go, and you know how little kids do, she, she wouldn't do it. And her daddy said, you give your papa a hug right now. <laughs> well, she was compelled to come and give me a hug. But you know, that didn't mean very much. <laughs> you know, that, 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 was, that didn't do much for me. And God is not interested in coercing us. He's interested in us obeying Him because we love Him. Because we make a choice to obey Him because we desire to please Him, because we, we long to be uh, more like Jesus. We, we want to live in such a way that, that Christ will be exalted and thus bring glory to God in our day-to-day life. So two choices. Two choices. Walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh. The question is, how do we walk in the Spirit? Of course, a large portion of the New Testament is devoted to teaching us on how to walk in the Spirit. And I'm surely not going to be able to cover all of that, but I just want to bring one or two little thoughts. We have to, in order to walk in the Spirit, we have to be constantly sensitive to the Spirit. Uh, We can't rely upon our emotions. 
on our feelings, on our intuition, on our experiences, that that's just not going to be sufficient. That's not the primary way the Spirit speaks to us. The way this, and all of you know this, the way, the primary way the Spirit speaks to us is right here. This is the way God speaks to us. And so He speaks to us through His Word. So we have to recognize that, that we're going to have to be instructed in the Word. And even there, we're going to have to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to help us understand the Word. Because our human intellect and our human reasoning and our human insight is not sufficient where we're going to have to have some help in reading and studying and understanding God's Word. So if we're going to have any benefit from the study of the Word of God, we've got to saturate our Bible study with prayer. We've got to ask God, Lord, and I try to do this every time I open my Bible. I don't always do it, but I try to remember to pray Lord, I'm about to open your sacred text. And Lord, I'm, I'm going to use every uh, faculty of my mind you've given me to understand uh, what your Bible is saying and how I'm to apply it. But Lord, I know that I need help. I need you to illuminate my mind. I, I need you to open my understanding that I may receive the truth that you have for me. Lord, I need you to enable and empower me to obey it as, as I try to apply it in my day-to-day life. So you, you have to be constantly sensitive to the Spirit. Well, not only do we have the choice to walk in the Spirit, we can also yield to the flesh. And I'm sure if we were all honest, there's probably some point in time today that we probably yielded to our flesh. By the way, yielding the flesh is always a choice of the will. Don't ever deceive yourself into believing that somehow you could not help sinning. Some people try to try that way out. Well, I'm, I'm just flesh. I'm just weak. Uh, and, and I just overcome. Well, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says if we sin, we do it because we choose to do it. It's an act of the will on our part. See, sin can no longer command. We're no longer a bond slave to our fallen nature. Now, our fallen nature can suggest, it can entice, it can woo, but it cannot compel. By the way, yielding to the flesh is always a process. You just don't fall into sin. It's a process, always a process. You know, the devil's pretty smart. He's not going to come in a spirit-filled meeting like this or in the midst of a camp revival or when the spirit is really moving. Uh, That's not the time he's going to come, typically, to entice us to sin. Satan is going to come when he finds us vulnerable. When when we're most vulnerable. Maybe, Maybe we're weak. Maybe we're... We're physically weak. Maybe we're, we're tired. Uh, I believe I've had COVID three times now, uh, and each one was more lovely than the next. But, but I discovered when I was sick with COVID, I'd a whole lot rather read Louis Lamar than my Bible uh, because that, that's just the way we are. Uh, we, we're weak. So he comes when we're Many times when we're discouraged. Boy, there's a lot of discouragement living in the day and age in which we live. You look around and 
boy, it can be very discouraging. This, this last uh, Supreme Court justice was nominated. That, that's a real source of discouragement, is it not? Uh, we're discouraged by, by the trials and, and troubles of life. Many times we're discouraged by unanswered prayer. We, 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 we fall on our faces before the Lord and we pray and we, we pr- maybe we're praying for a loved one. And we pray and we pray and we pray and we ask God, Oh God, will you not deal with their hearts? Will you not convict them? Will you not do something in their lives to make them realize, Lord, that there is an eternity that awaits, that this life is short and we have no guarantee for tomorrow. And Lord, they're not ready to stand before you in judgment. Oh God, will you not manifest? Will you not do something in their lives? And you pray and nothing changes. Nothing changes. And you can get very discouraged by that. Many times, maybe we're discouraged by unfulfilled expectations. We, we thought God would do it this way, but, but He didn't do it that way. He did it in a totally different way, a way that we really didn't like, and we can be, we can be very discouraged. And so it's when we're in this state, when we're weak, when, when we're vulnerable, when we are at a very low point spiritually, that's when the deceiver comes and makes a suggestion to the mind. Where temptation always starts. It's always a suggestion to the mind. And, and the suggestion usually takes the form of satisfying a legitimate desire outside the parameters that God has provided to meet that need or that desire. Isn't that exactly how He led Eve astray? Was it wrong for Eve to be hungry? Was that a sin? Was it sin for, for Eve to partake of the fruit of the garden with the exception of the tree of knowledge and good and evil? But you notice how Satan did not point Eve to all the other fruit trees, but he zeroed in on the very one that God said she, didn't have, she couldn't have. And so he, he suggested to her that she could satisfy a legitimate desire to fulfill her appetite, her appetite for food, but outside the parameters that God had given her. It works the same way today. You know, as human beings, we have all kinds of needs and desires, do we not? For example, a, a woman has needs and desires, and, and most often those needs and desires are, are met in, in God's plan of ordained marriage, man and woman committed together for life. And there, in that relationship, she finds acceptance, she finds security, and she finds love. Now, men, men, we have a desire for sexual fulfillment, and God has provided a way to meet that need in our life, once again, through the relationship that God has given. But if we perceive or we think those needs are not being met, men and women seek illicit relationships outside the bonds of marriage because they have been deceived by Satan into believing they can satisfy a legitimate desire outside the parameters that God has given Many a, many a wife has committed adultery because the needs that she had were not being met in that marriage relationship. The same is true of men. What about the desire for material prosperity? Anything wrong 
uh, with having material goods, anything wrong with buying a new car or having a nice home or having nice clothes, money in the bank? Is there something intrinsically wrong about those things? No. No, there's nothing wrong with, with money. Money's not the problem. It, it's the love. It, it's, it's taking material things and making them an idol in our heart. And there we, we become idolaters. And God frowns pretty heavily on idolatry, by the way. Covetousness is idolatry. What about having a good reputation with our peers? Anything wrong with that? Well, certainly we, we want to be well thought of of our peers, but, but maybe we're at the office or there's a situation where we're with our peer group and, and we, we, the Holy Spirit kind of nudges us to, to say something for Christ, to, to be a witness for Christ, but we're afraid of what, what people may think. We, we're afraid of, of being rejected, and so we, we, in order to maintain our reputation with our peers, in order not to be thought of as a Bible thumper or some sort of religious fanatic, uh, we, we suppress the Holy Spirit. What about a healthy body and mind? Anything wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. Uh, God, uh, it's good to have a healthy body. It's good to eat healthy. It's good, it's good to have. But, but many people take that to such an extreme that pretty soon they've got some sort of diet and they're worshiping their diet or they're, they're worshiping exercise. They, and, and so once again, you know, sin always comes in, in that form. It's always a suggestion to the mind to fulfill some desire outside the parameters that God has given it. So warfare always addresses a real or supposed need. And we will win or lose the battle of temptation at the point that it's a suggestion to the mind. Right there is where we have to make a choice. Right there we have to choose. Am I going to listen to the suggestion of, of, my, of the deceiver, which will certainly be a satisfaction to my flesh. It's something I can enjoy. It's something that will fulfill me. Or am I going to be obedient and listen and, 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 and put to death to mortify, to turn from that? Well, when the suggestion comes, we've got a choice. And... The, always the best choice is to immediately reject the suggestion. Because the longer you wait, the more difficult it becomes. At the very outset, recognize it for what it is. You are listening to a lie from hell that, that nothing long-term good will come from that. And there's many different ways that you can reject the suggestion. You can begin to pray. You can ask God, oh God, I'm, I'm really being tempted here. I'm, I really feel weak in myself. Lord, strengthen me and, and help me to overcome this temptation. Uh, maybe quote scriptures. Maybe if you have a besetting sin, you go to the scriptures and you find Bible verses that deal with the sin that bothers you and you memorize those. And, and when Satan comes, you begin to quote scripture to him. You begin to, and that'll help you. That'll help you. Uh, sometimes it'll help to think about the consequences of this sin. Uh, what will be the end result after all the flesh in the pan is gone, after the flesh is sated and whatever sin it is, what will be the end result of that? We cannot always quickly overcome temptation. 
There's no magic dust. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Sometimes, sometimes when you initially resist the temptation, it will actually become stronger. Satan will ratchet it up a little bit. Because God many times allows us, he allows those temptations to come. He's testing us. Someone asked the question, well, is it a, is it a test or is it a temptation? Well, if you, if you reject it, it's a test. If you yield to it, it's a temptation. We have to conquer the temptation. And just because we conquer it today does not mean it will not recur tomorrow. Uh, Satan is patient. He's in for the long game. And he comes again and again. But I do say this. As you are more victorious in your resistance to the devil, the temptations become weaker and weaker. You have to, by faith, trust that God in His Word will help us to overcome any temptation. There's no temptation taken you but such is common to man. You're not the only one being tempted. But God is faithful. That will not suffer you to be tempted above your able, but will, with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, canceling, uh, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You ever try to do that? <laughs> yeah, try that sometimes. That's a command, by the way. We're to bring into obedience every thought to the obedience of Christ. I can't do that. I've never, I've never successfully done that over about five minutes. But it's very, that, that is a command. It is a command. James says, uh, but, he, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he said, God resists the proud, but give grace unto the humble. Right. Submit yourself therefore to God. So when you're tempted, what do you do? You submit yourself therefore to God. What's the next step? You resist the devil. You use the will that God gives you. You give every available thing that God has provided for you in His Word, in His Spirit, and you resist. You resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But if you don't reject the suggestion that comes to the mind, then you other, other choice is you embrace that temptation. And it's, that's always a concession of the will. James compares it to uh, conception. He says, uh, he said, don't blame God if you sin. It's not God's fault. God is not tempted with sin. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when, when he is drawn away by his own lust. Then when lust has what? Conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So when you, when you embrace that temptation, when, when you use your will to entertain whatever that sinful thought is in your mind, then conception takes place and you have sinned. 
Now, you may not act upon that temptation for a variety of reasons. You may not have opportunity, or, or you may fear the consequences of, of carrying out that temptation. But nevertheless, sin has been conceived. So now you've got another choice. Now you've sinned. You've entertained this sinful thought. You've allowed this, this temptation to be conceived in your mind. And so now you have another choice. Now, at this point, you need to recognize, Lord, I've sinned. I, I, I should have already dealt with this. But now I've allowed it in my mind. I've, I've thought about it. I've, I've embraced it. And now I need to confess it, Lord. I need to confess it. And it's just as wicked as you say it is, Lord. And I acknowledge that, that, that I myself am responsible. I, I allowed myself to be seduced by the devil. And I confess this sin. And I ask for your forgiveness to cleanse me from this sin. Or... You allow the seed of that sin to remain in your mind. And Satan is very patient in his seduction. And as time goes along, he will feed and water that sin and it begins to grow in your mind. And eventually, eventually, it will be manifested in your behavior. Somewhere along the way, Whatever's on the inside is going to be expressed on the outside. But the results, when, when we allow that sin to remain, the results are always predictable. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. You're going to, and you're going to lose your sweet fellowship with the Lord. That, that, that uh, Lord is not going to identify with you in your sin. You're going to lose that fellowship. You're going to lose your joy. You're going to lose your peace. You may even ask yourself, whether am I really even saved? Satan comes along and puts that in your mind too. How can you call yourself saved? Uh, you, have you seen what you've thought and what you've done? And you call yourself saved? We also lose our spiritual appetite. No desire to read the Bible. No desire to pray. Bored in church. I mean, we just, we just come in and check the boxes, but, but we're, uh, we're hypocrites. <laughs> when we come in pretending that we are enjoying the services, pretending that we, we're, and we're sitting in our church pew and we're just an out-and-out hypocrite because we've got unconfessed sin in our lives and Satan has us in captivity to that sin. Not only does our spiritual appetite decline, our carnal Fleshly appetite demands more and more and more. Sin is never satisfied with just a little thimbleful. Because when you drink that little thimbleful, uh, while that may satisfy for a while, it never lasts. The flesh wants more and more and more and more. And at some point in time, in this process, we come under the chastening hand of God. Not punitive judgment, that was taken care of on the cross, but remedial correction. If we are God's child, He is not going to allow us to habitually, continually live in sin without taking some kind of action. And that's up to the Lord. 
You know, he, he's got a lot of different ways to chastise his children. He knows what's best. And we need to always remember this. While we may choose to sin, it is God who always determines the consequences of that sin. And sometimes those consequences can be very disastrous, very destructive in our lives, in our family, in our church. So let me wrap it up. As long as we are in this body, there's going to be a struggle for holiness. And those of you who have been saved, you know that to be true. There's always going to be contention and strife. There's always going to be that internal warfare because the flesh is, is, is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And sometimes every day and sometimes every hour, you're going to have to decide who am I going to listen to? Because there's a lot of voices out there in our culture. And we're going to have to determine, are, are we going to listen to God? Are we going to listen to the Holy Spirit? Are we going to listen to the Word of God? Or are we going to submit ourselves to the authority of God's Word? Are we going to deal with sin when it comes into our lives? Or are we going to give the flesh prominence in our life? This is true of every Christian. We're all involved in spiritual warfare. The great Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian uh, in the Bible other than Christ himself, read Romans chapter 7. And you'll find there the great Apostle Paul was struggling with his own sin nature. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I'm carnal. So he was talking as a saved man. I mean, there's some controversy in that, but I firmly believe... We see in Romans chapter 7 the Apostle Paul's struggle of his own sin nature, the, the spiritual warfare that he's involved in. Now here's the paradox. The closer we walk with the Lord, the more we study His Word, the more diligently we try to obey Him, we see how utterly wicked and depraved is our flesh. That's always the consequence of walking uh, in fellowship with the Lord. He's, we're going to see that what's inside is nasty. It's ugly. It's sinful. And so we have to be ever vigilant because Satan is always trying to influence us through our flesh. So we, we have to constantly examine our thoughts and our motives in light of God's Word. We have to exercise discipline. We have to deprive the flesh of what it desires. We have to mortify. We have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. The Bible is full of this. It, it takes some action on our part. We're going to have to make some choices. And each of us knows where we're born. You know, I go to Sam's from time to time, and there are the Sam's in Monroe where we shop. Oh, they've got 15 aisles of liquor, uh, packaged in very beautiful bottles and all kinds of wines. You know, that doesn't bother me a bit because that's not my besetting sin. Uh, that's not my problem. So I can walk past that, through that, look at that. Man, that's no problem at all. But if I was a recovering alcoholic, I think I'd have to avoid going to places like that. 
And so we need to find out what our besetting sin is, and we need to avoid as much as possible those things that excite our flesh. We know what our weakness is. Well, we know where we're vulnerable. Uh, we know what we, what we need to avoid. And so we have to constantly discipline our, our, our thought life, discipline what we look at, where we go. It's an, ongoing, it's an ongoing struggle. But at the same time, not only do we deprive our flesh and mortify our flesh and put to death our flesh, but we have to nurture and feed the Spirit. Uh, just, just do not, do not, do not, do not all the time. You're not going to last. You're going to have to get into the Word of God. You're going to have to find some help from God's Word. You're going to have to saturate your, your life with the Word of God. You cannot fight the spiritual warfare without this Bible. This is our only offensive weapon. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And that's exactly what Jesus used in the temptation there uh, in, in Matthew's Gospel where He was fighting against the temptations of the devil. And what did He use? Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Word of God. And if you don't know what the Word of God says, how in the world are you going to fight with the sword of the Spirit? But also, not only will we see how utterly depraved and wicked is our flesh, but the greater will our desire to be to be more holy. As we walk with the Lord, as we try to submit ourselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we, we have a desire to be more holy. You know, God put that in us when He got saved. He put within us a desire to be holy, a desire to be more like Jesus, a desire to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And the more intimate our fellowship, the closer we walk with the Lord, the greater will our desire to be more like Jesus. Because that is the goal of the Holy Spirit, is to make us more like Jesus. What the psalmist say, as for me... I will be satisfied when I behold thy face in righteousness. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none that I desire on earth besides thee. My heart and my flesh, it cries out for the living God. You know, the greatest longing in our heart and our soul is to be free from both the power and the presence of sin. We hate that part of us that is still attracted to sin. We hate our sinful desires, our sinful inclinations. We hate this wicked world which tries to seduce us. Every place we go, there's seduction from this world. But that is the Christian life until we get rid of this body. We're always going to have to deal with the struggle with holiness. We're always going to have to fight that spiritual warfare. So when you get up in the morning, you might as well get ready because you're going to have to make some decisions today. Who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to the Spirit? Am I going to obey the Word of God? Or am I going to yield to my flesh? Let me close with this warning. If you have no desire for holiness, if you can live in your sin and enjoy your sin and never come under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, never experience any chastisement from the Lord, 
you better check up. It doesn't matter how much you say you're a Christian. It doesn't matter what kind of religious experience you've had. It doesn't matter what kind of profession you've made or how long you've been a member of the church. None of that matters because something is is very drastically wrong if you have no desire to be holy. If you can live in sin and never be bothered, you need to go back and read 1 John and you need to meditate upon 1 John and there you'll find out that if we, if we say we are Christians and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So may the Lord help us in our daily struggle. And it's going to get worse. I mean, our culture is not getting any better, is it? I mean, television is not improving much. And, and, and the culture that, that is, we're constantly exposed to on an ongoing basis, and we can't get away from it. We, we can avoid some of it, but we can't get away from it. We still gotta, we still got to go out and face the world every day. And when we do, we're, we're going to encounter temptations. And so we need to fight the good fight. The Apostle Paul said that he, he fought a good fight. He finished his course. He kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the, right, which the Lord will give me, and not to me only, but to him also, also that love his coming. Brother Bell, thank you.